And welcome to Real Indigenous, where these indigenous people get real about what's on our screens and a few ventures in between. This week, we are continuing our discussion of the phenomenally badass series, Reservation Dawn. With me, bringing her thoughts, feelings, and critical mind are my sister from another mister. Candace. And my brother from another mother, Jay Staff. This moment, we'll be talking about episode three, Uncle Brownie going to kind of go through like the credits and, the, and who did what and, and do it like a brief synopsis is written on IMDb. So we got our director who was Black Horse Low. Creators are Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. Writing credit goes to Sterling Harjo with the uh, writing staff of Sidney Freeland, Tommy Pico, and Bobby Wilson. And this episode stars as our usual gang of suspects of Devery De- De- Jacob as Allura Bannon Postoke, the Pharaoh Wunatai as Bear Smallheel. Paulina Alexis as Willie Jack, and our national treasure, Gary Farmer, as Uncle Brownie. And in this episode, interesting to know is that Lane Factor, who plays Cheese, was not in this episode. Basically, the synopsis is, still concerned about the attack by the Indian Mafia, the Reds dogs go to find Allura's Uncle Brownie to see if he'll teach them to fight. Tales are told of Brownie, the powerful warrior, and how he knocked out numerous people in a bar fight. They spend the day trying to help Brownie sell his ancient weed and the process learning indigenous styles about his way of fighting. You begin, got, you know, Jason Asnap here, who's like the deeper mind, who actually is a good friend with Black Horse. And so kind of like give us what your thoughts of Black Horse Lowe's directing and what you saw on, saw on that and, and input on Black Horse himself. You know, it's, it's, the episode's like one of my favorite ones because it's um, subversive. And there's some elements that it surprises you, like the whole, and it could, I feel like the, this episode could exist on its own. It's very much in line with like uh, Black Horse's kind of aesthetic. He's, he's done a lot of films lately that are uh, like stoner comedies. I guess you could, you could describe them that way. Like starting back with like uh, Fuckery, I think that was in 2018. 2019, 2018. And then going back to Chasing the Light, his previous feature film before that, which was like 2016 or 17. But they're like dark humor, uh, a lot of pot, weed, whatever they call it these days, <laughs> whatever the kids call it. And then music, he, he likes a lot of noise music. So uh, in this episode, there's like some music, some songs by uh, Sleep. And it's that, that band, one of the, I think it's the singer actually, he's the best bass player, singer or something. He's based here in Albuquerque. So he brought some Albuquerque elements to this episode and he spent some time here, Black Horse, that is. He's lived, he's been, he was living here for probably about 10 years or something. We collaborated on a lot of projects together. So he's a good friend of mine, like he said. That aside, I, this is also just one of my favorite episodes because it has um, Gary, national treasure, Gary Farmer. He's like one of my favorite native actors and he's been in so many awesome films like uh, Dead Man. He had such a powerful performance in Dead Man and you know Jim Jarmusch is just like, who doesn't love Jim Jarmusch? He's like just the coolest ever. That's like indie cred right there, if you like Jim Jarmusch. And so by proximity, Gary Farmer is also is as cool, I feel. And he he's, lives down the road in Santa Fe, actually. Gary, very cool dude too. But yeah, it's like one of my favorite episodes. I said that about the last episode, but I really mean it about this episode. <laughs> yeah. Each one's going to be the best episode as we go no, along. Actually, no. Actually, no. Because <laughs> I, I, unlike you, have not seen, I've seen them all already. I like what you're doing. You're seeing like a fresh one each time with fresh eyes. I've seen them all because I wrote about them already. So I've, I've seen the first four several times just because I didn't want to fuck up the article for Esquire. 
I was just like, I watched them many times. So yeah, this is this is true. This is actually one of my favorite episodes. One of the things like with uh, Sterling Harjo is that Sterling loves that movie, Dead Man. One of his favorite movies. He always talks about how much he loves that movie. And he also talked about how, how often he was trying to work with uh, Gary Farmer to do something. And so I don't know if this is, this is this his first time working with Gary Farmer? Is that correct? I think so. Okay. So it's kind of like a, like a dream come true kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So that, that's awesome too. That's something that's, that's a badass. Well, Candace, any, uh, what are your initial thoughts of tonight's, this episode that, that we saw? Well, of course, with Uncle Brownie, like everyone said, a national treasure. He's iconic. He's iconic. He's an iconic comedic figure in in Indian country and in native film, native cinema. Of course, I grew up, I was introduced to him in Smoke Signals. Uh, But one of my favorite uh, characters he plays is actually in in that horror movie, uh, Quantum. Yeah, the the zombie, the zombie film. Like I, you know, he plays this really hardcore, bad, a despicable character, and that was a lot of fun for for me to see. Since I'm used to seeing him being kind of goofy, just kind of messing around, goofing around. Uh, but it was fun to see him just play someone who just kind of really relishes just making people suffer, really. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so that was that was cool. I don't think he's ever done that in anything else. Yeah, that's why it was so different for him. It was it was different for me to see him in that, and so um, it's fun to see him play cranky old man again in uh in this in this episode. You know, I don't like kids. You know, get out of my yard. You know, and that kind of. <laughs> and I I love oh, one an, another thing that I really enjoy is I I love this uh the introduction of um kind of the comedy that comes with a lot of kinship in Indian country. You know, he's he's uh, Alora's cousin uncle. You know, I have cousin aunts, you know, <laughs> and so I think that that's a, an extra added layer of like of comedy that I, I really enjoyed from this episode. And uh, of course, some initial thoughts was I like some of the political things that were introduced at the top of the episode uh, with land back and uh, the conversation there. And, and of course, the deer, which will which plays a more important thing later. Yeah, cool, cool. All right. So yeah, definitely. So what I'm going to do is kind of just go through the episode and we'll go through each scene and kind of talk about our thoughts and feelings of them and, and like any input. So that's good that you started with, with the uh, the opening scene, which is uh, kind of like the te- teaser a bit. And it's this couple who are driving down the road talking about land back when they're, they drive by the sign of that says, welcome to O'Kern, Oklahoma. And my understanding is this is the first time we learned what the name of our town and its uh, population was 8,245. I know this because I was wanting to see how, wondering how big the town was. And right I, there. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I, I wrote that motherfucker down. Don't act like <laughs> I got no big on that shit. And, and so there's like a graffiti of land back and the, there's this couple who are joking about Indian issues from a white point of view. And now the woman says that she's uh, part Indian. So there's that part Indian joke again. Now, she could be part Indian. We never, like, I didn't doubt if she was or wasn't. I just, you know, went along with it. And so you can see two sides of that. And so then um, the other thing was that shit ass was said, which is a repeated put down throughout the show so far. So then we end with, with the deer getting hit. And so, so Jason, I know that you had like like some input on on what your thoughts were on this, like the reference of casinos and Indians making money and kickbacks and all that. So, what your thoughts were on this this first scene? I noticed like when she said she was part Indian, right? Is that what she yeah. said? I'm part yeah. Indian. And like you know, having grown up in Oklahoma for been living, I lived there for thirty two years. 
you hear that so much and it's like you hear everyone, everyone's part Indian right everyone's part Indian and I when I when I, when I hear it now or when I read it on Twitter especially it's like usually it's used as an excuse for white people to be like well I'm not offended about the Redskins and I'm part Indian and it's like well that is a dead giveaway usually it's a dead giveaway usually because uh, they're not they don't list any tribe it's just like well what tribe do you specifically are you a citizen from where you know what what ties do you actually have other than this like pan indian kind of weird construct in your head of like i'm part indian and therefore i can speak or how offended i might be well, it's like well you're not really indian are you because <laughs> it's like you're part and like i said before uh yeah it's like you're not you're never part you are you aren't you know it's like mm -hmm. no you don't understand it's what you don't take your braids off of them put them down <laughs> you get home from a long day you know it's like you're always indian so it's kind of yeah. ridiculous yeah it can't uh, be convenient yeah. this isn't a thing that you just take on and off for them apparently it is you know it's <laughs> a part of when, it, when it's convenient i think candace kind of talked her part through about it was there anything else that that stood out for you in that scene Sure, with Landback, like Landback is kind of a more recent, I think it's a more recent uh, Twitter and hashtag thing on social media that you see. And uh, it's a real thing. And what I like when you see like organizations that are saying, hey, we are committed to inclusion and diversity and we're committed to serving uh, or committing to uh, serve and partner with more BIPOC people, Black, Indigenous and people of color. And then a lot of times, a lot of these organizations, they misuse that. You know, they'll say, hey, we have a BIPOC cast or BIPOC this or that or whatever. And then, then they'll, they have to answer to the communities who say, hey, a lot of times they're like, all right, you say that you're, if you're using BIPOC in your, whatever you're using, your advertising, your marketing for this show or this, this project that you're doing, where's the I, where's the I represented? Where's your indigenous representation? Because there was, I know of a specific example, there was an org that said, hey, we've got all BIPOC casts. And then one of my friends was able to say, hey, where's your indigenous representation? And they're like, hey, uh, are you indigenous? He's like, yes, I am. We would love to partner with you. And, have you. and so he was able to get a job out of that by saying, hey, you know, there's a there's this going on and you're not including that. And with Land Back, a lot of times uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of indigenous artists that are saying, in what ways are you contributing, actively contributing to Land Back? And so it's exciting when you see uh, some tribes that are getting their land back, you know, whether it's um, a private citizen or an organization that are donating or they're giving back, deeding back the land to the tribe in which it was originally probably taken from so so that's I love how that's a very modern one of those modern Indian country battles that's brought to the forefront here for our res dogs it's just to say that and show that and I think what it also does is kind of like introduces that kind of like the the absurdity of those discussions that happened one article or, or review I read that said it was like a way of talking about the conservative point of view and the liberal point of view and the reality is they're kind of both wrong, you know, <laughs> and and so and so I thought that I kind of agreed with that, what that scene did. They hit the deer and we see the kids as they're, you know, everything goes, the scene goes to black and then we come back and we see our, our main characters pull up in their, in their grandma's car. <laughs> and, and so they get out and they get the deer because they, they want to use, they want to sell the back strap, right? Which is disgusting. And, disgusting. Ew. The deer scene is common kind of with, with many people, at least here in Oklahoma, especially right now. If you're driving around, you're seeing all these dead deers. 
this is like you know the fall winter this is winter time now basically fall winter and you always see these dead deer now you know at first i was like oh shit nobody does that nobody's trying to go but there are times that when indians do hit the deer that they grab the deer or call somebody else, hey come get this deer so we can take it and i remember like like i had a relative who hit a deer once and when the tow, tow truck came they put the car on the tow truck and the deer and he took it home and cut it up and, and you know we ate it and so that can happen. <laughs> that does happen. But... <laughs> That's rugged. Yeah. If you if you see a dead deer on the side of the road and there's no vehicle around, so <laughs> anyone thinking of doing this, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not something you should try. <laughs> no. And so then they talk about the backstrap, which I haven't heard people really refer to a deer as backstrap. And I don't know if that was a common thing that people say, because, you know, usually when you, you kill the deer, you kind of eat the various parts of it. And backstrap is basically like the, the ass to the shoulder of the back of the deer. And that's where like a lot of the lean meat is. But you don't just eat that part. You eat the whole thing, basically. And so maybe this is just the, showing this, the kids ignorance in all of this and how they think that thing should be. So anyway, yeah. what do you guys think about with, with this scene here? I think I agree with that. I think that that goes into like country kids trying out something. You know, just try it. See if it works. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, because low stakes. It doesn't belong to anybody technically, you know, oh, because it's, it's bears kind of, I think it's bear suggestion, isn't it? Who is like, Hey, we can get backstrap out of it. <laughs> and but even the, well, I think they say it a lot and <clears throat> they say it so much. The bartender at the end is like, what is she's like, I heard you guys had some backstrap. You're right, you be- backstrap. Yeah, she's like, you better not be, you better not be messing up with us. I thought it got a little corny. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. backstrap. That sounds like a good time to me. I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> well, it is a good time. Those country motherfuckers, we know what a good time it is. But, but again, like I, I personally never heard it being referred as backstrap. We just say overall deer meat. It's like you got deer yeah. meat. You got, you yeah. got yeah. deer meat. Oh well, yeah, we don't we don't call it backstrap over here. We just say you know deer meat, deer jerky. Usually deer oh, jerky. Oh hell yeah, deer, deer jerky. jerky. I always say y'all got me some deer jerky. Y'all get deer jerky yet? Yeah. But then I didn't I didn't grow up in a hunting family. My dad was like. So I didn't really get to experience any of that kind of the hunting. Plus, we were in Walters, not in, um, what's that, O'Turn? O'Kern. O'Kern, yeah. O'Kern, Oklahoma. Though <laughs> <laughs> so I did have a friend who said, hey, if you see any deer on the side of the road, I want those deer toes. And I was like, okay. Deer toes? Yeah, deer toes. Not for eating. What, what was the like use for? Jewelry or something? Oh, well, yeah. A lot of times, like, it can be used in regalia and... uh saw a really cool demonstration one time at uh, Chickasaw Cultural Center where they demonstrated that uh, deer toes used to be part of the shackles uh, that the ladies use on their legs. And I think that's maybe what she was thinking. Uh, this lady was thinking, she's she's Creek, she's not Chickasaw, but I think she was thinking maybe adding some deer toes to maybe a pair of sh- shell shackles or maybe like using it in jewelry or regalia. Okay. Yeah, I haven't heard, I haven't seen that or heard that. That's cool. They have a beautiful sound. I like the way they sound. The thing too is like when they got out, they were like, uh, "I bet white people did this," which I thought was a little bit too much because I don't think anyone's ever w- would say that, you know. Because right, we've all and we've all hit a deer, I imagine, at some point if you live in Oklahoma. Yeah, I've avoided. And, I've avoided. You've been lucky, son. You've been lucky. Been lucky. And so, yeah. So everybody knows it ain't just white people who leave deer on the side of the road. It's everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, you know, the the next scene is them driving, looking for. Uncle Brownie's house, which is like out in the middle of nowhere. They're driving, I guess, in the countryside saying, where's the house? Where's the house at? 
and uh, Willie Jack was talking about she had gotten the hair of uh, of their enemies <laughs> oh, to yeah. use to curse. Yeah, to curse yeah. someone. Uh, talking about bad medicine. <laughs> yeah, the bad medicine. And I, I like that part of it because that's like a, that's a very common thing that we talk about. I don't know if that's really in, in the Choctaw culture per se of using that, the hair, but I know everybody knows that. Yeah, you know what that is, and and if it's in the Creek culture, I don't know either. Definitely and, uh, in Cherokee and Quapaw culture. Grandma yeah. used to say that her grandma used to burn her hair so that way mm-hmm. nobody could get it. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and I know like uh, that was like one of the things that talked about when people go get their haircuts. They would have yeah. it swept up and they would put it in a bag and burn it or whatever. And yeah. speaking of haircuts, we got as Aunt B is Kimberly Norris, Kimberly Norris Guerrero, also known as the former Miss Oklahoma and cigar store Indian from the series of Seinfeld. He had like a brief cameo. And what I understand, she's going to show up later on in the episode, so we can talk about her more. But she's like a, she's from where I'm from. She's from Idabel area. So I was like, oh yeah, there's Kim. There. Oh shit, that's so cool. What tribe out. is she? I believe she's Coville Indian tribe. Her family is from Lawton area. And she's grew up in Idabel. We finally get to Uncle Brownie's place. And they, I like how a native Twitter just blew up over the, the blocking out of the, the censoring oh, of the yeah. owl's eyes. Oh, yeah, the owl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that cracked me up too. But I, you know, and um, I have seen bits and pieces of this episode. So unfortunately, I didn't get to get the surprise of that, of the humor of that part. That <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, and so then we go and they go and they're talking about Uncle Brownie and his fighting skills. And we show the fight in the bar. And what's what cracked me up was the, the wig that they used. And I was wondering if that was like the callback to smoke signals. Cause we were <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it had to be. I think it had to be. Mm-hmm. It, really had to be. it was so bad. It was so bad. So that made me laugh because I was like, I said they had to make they have to be making fun of smoke signals because because oh, yeah. they're not going to purposely get a bad wig. You know? I thought that was genius. It was funny as I met one of the stunt women who got punched in that in that series of people. Uh-huh. It was like the I don't know like five or six down. It was like a white woman uh, they got punched. And I met her uh, when Black Horse was here. We were over at uh, getting some food over at this uh, food hall place, and she she was there, and she's in town for like another gig. Because she's a stunt woman, and so they knew each other, and they're like, "Oh!" And then I guess she's from Tulsa too. But cool. I didn't know she got punched in that series of punches. <laughs> I found her. I was like, "Oh, that is her!" You know, I paused it. <laughs> right. And the first guy, the first guy that he punches speaks uh, speaks Navajo, uh-huh. so that has to be like uh, some sort of black horse had to put that in there somehow. Yeah, that's a Navajo word, and then this episode has a Navajo director, so it's like. Little bit of inside joke kind of thing. Inside joke, yeah. Which is basically what this whole series is, is a big inside joke. Yeah, it is a bunch of it's, it's a bunch of Indian inside jokes. Yeah. It is. Right. So and so then they get to Uncle Brownie's house and they talk about Uncle Brownie and he's uncle, but he's the cousin of I'm assuming it was a mom, right? It's her yeah, mom. Yeah, of Alora's mom. Yeah, Cookie. yeah. Cookie, yeah, Cookie, that's what it is. And so then they get out of the car. And we see the braids. Did you see that, Candace, that you talked about that was on the shoulder of the police officer? Yeah. We see it again uh, in that, in that, on one of those signs. So that was, uh, so I was like, oh, there it is. There's what, uh, Candace. And it's a Southwest about. or Southeast culture. 
design, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. Four logs or eternal fire or the four directions. So that was cool to see because then I recognize it. And and so then, like you said, the pixelated eyes on the owl, they say, and they all turn around and say, don't look, don't look at the owl. <laughs> and so then we see our man, Gary Farmer. And yeah. he's out there digging up the ground and trying to find the weed he buried from way back. And and so I was wondering, like, was that like a common thing that you know of? I don't know if you guys know many people who do weed or anything, but that people bury weed. For, I don't know why, but why would, or was that just kind of like a part of the eccentricity of this particular character? I'm wondering if it's maybe just his eccentricity. Mm-hmm. I won't say that I know much about the weed scene myself, except I know that we have a lot of weed stores here now in Tahlequah and in in the Tulsa, like I see lots of them sprout up. So I can't say what it was like 10 years ago, if that was just a thing that people did. I have a colleague who, you know, she has her license and everything. And she's just very, she's very careful about her plants. She's very meticulous about her composting. She was telling me that um, she and her husband have to be very meticulous about their composting, about the kind of dirt that they use and only filtered water like they baby this crop so so <laughs> i can't say it's complete opposite with gary farmers but that that's part of the joke too of course that he's like it's bad it's not good it's not good stuff or we've got better stuff now yeah yeah because most people i knew they always you know stashed it away they, or they hide it up at the top of their uh, or some even put it like behind like loose boards now like i said you know that's before like legalized everything was legalized so like i never heard of anybody actually burying burying their their, their weed in a in a glass jar so <laughs> so i think that was just an individual thing and i think one i'm wondering if it's maybe a play too off of um you know he talks about i live off the land you know, and Sonics. <laughs> Sonics. There's like a, I don't know if it's an actual reference to the, it could just be me making that connection. But the, like I mentioned that film that we, uh, that Black Horse directed called Chasing the Light. Uh, there is a jar of weed, like a jar just like that, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this uh, weed that um, one of the characters is buying from another character. And it's pretty, it looks just like that same jar. And I was like, what? I wonder if there's a connection there because I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know if any of us smoke weed at all. So it's like uh, this is probably the wrong crowd here to be discussing this. But only only clouds here are clouds of ignorance about <laughs> <Yeah>. weed. <laughs> I don't know anything about weed. I know that we had a jar in that film, and it was like a it was part of the story. I don't know if there's any connection there, but it's just about the same size. Yeah. yeah, and I know like in the interviews with some of the writers, they would talk about like, it would basically be like an idea they would have of something that happened or they knew somebody happened and they just say, oh yeah, that's what my uncle did. And this one. and so I'm, I'm, I bet, you know, Dollars and Donuts, they, yeah, with with, uh, with Black Horse, is that he, he probably knew somebody who did something like that. So I, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a, a reality link to that. And so then we're back, we're inside his house and they're asking Uncle Brownie to uh, help them fight. And he talks about how he's a good fighter. And so he's, and he grabs that knife and he throws it at Andrew Jackson. <laughs> he doesn't say that. I could have put a knife right in him. <laughs> and so that was funny. I like that part. And then he talks about the most knockouts he had at Muggy's Bar. And it, that number goes up from 10 to 20. And so, you know, and then like you talked about Sonics, you know, the Sonic shout out, which is a, a Oklahoma company. It's an Oklahoma brand that yeah. I believe it started like in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And what made me laugh was, like you said, they said Sonics. Sonics. Like a, like a real Indian thing to do. Cause like my, my family, <laughs> we, 
like when we talk about Walmart, like, we're going to Walmarts. <laughs> my dad would always get pissed. Like, there's no S on Walmart. Where do you got Walmarts? Is, is there multiple Walmarts you're going to? <laughs> so when I said Sonic, that was funny. And they say it out here in New Mexico too. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. With an S. <laughs> yeah, everything with an S. <laughs> I even do it now, just even though I know better. I'm just like, ah, just do it. Just buy into it now. Just put S on everything. So the other thing, too, is like, I thought the interior of his house was a little too nice. Did anyone else think it was like, like, it was just like nice little, almost like semi-A-frame, very yeah. high ceiling. And I was yeah. like, I was like, God dang, that's better than my old, uh, what'd you call my house? The trailer. trailer home. That's better than my house. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Your place is nice. From what I've seen, your I kitchen. Can't. Your area, your area, area. <laughs> that area. That's that area. <laughs> so place I still see, always see. So, like, I thought it was a little bit nice. And then, um, and so this, we have this emotional moment where Laura finally sees a picture of Cookie and Kyle Bell. Kyle Bell, look at all sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was cracking up because he's like, yeah, yeah he's so that, <laughs> pretty that serious. Was, he's got a serious look. Kyle Bell's cameo, and, and, and if you really know, Kyle Bell's another filmmaker, local. <laughs> He's local in Oklahoma, right? I think, I believe so, yeah. He's Muscogee. Yeah, I'm not He's sure where. Here. He's, He's around here in Tulsa area, right? I think he's yeah. still here. Yeah, so he, yeah, local filmmaker and uh, good, good, good filmmaker too. And so, like, uh, so we had this real serious moment where they talk about Cookie and. He says, like, uh, she wants him to tell her more, but he's like, I can't because I'll cry. Not because I don't want to, but it'll make me cry. And so this was that point where, like, you know, like where Jason talks about how the, the emotional things don't really move him. It, did this part move you at all at this time? I don't know if I would say the emotional things don't move me. I was just, <laughs> I'm not a monster. No, I thought it was like a nice scene. I thought it was, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, the art direction of that home. I didn't even think, I just, I thought it was nicely done. But now that you mention it, it probably was a little bit too put together. I don't know, but that's maybe being nitpicky. But yeah, now that I think about it, but I mean, I, I was kind of admiring the art direction because it was like, I didn't freeze frame the VCR tapes, but I saw a couple of tapes there. Like one was the hot hitcher or something. And, it's just, it's always nice to see those elements of whatever uh, the art director is putting into the home to, because it gives you, you barely see these things, but it gives you, they put so much work into these things that it just creates a vibe, you know, and that whether you, you even know it or not. But, but yeah, that's interesting, the whole, the way that it's put together, how you think it's too put together. And it did kind of have that feel of like Indian houses where we kind of have stuff just hanging up, taped to gone or are uh, mm -hmm. thumbtacked in and like just everything all over the place kind of mishmashed with various other things and videotapes of our like of like what were basically 80s action movies yeah and so and so yeah and so th th those were good moments and good things to see and like uh but I, yeah i felt like uh and it wasn't a big deal i just know that's a thing that house is a little bit nice for a dude <laughs> it's like <laughs> for indian home i guess <laughs> so and if you were watching in the background the the other main characters they're like messing around on the porch and picking up stuff one one guy picks up a gun i noticed that i noticed that later it was like the the people in the background yeah, yeah, so on next viewing, that's something worth checking out just to see what they're doing. And I'm like, what's the, what's the story going on back there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so then Uncle Brownie tells them to go because he's not going to teach them. And then 
as they're driving away, he runs out and tells them if he helps them uh, sell the weed, he'll teach them out the, the ways of the warrior, basically. <laughs> and, and so then we go on this weed selling trip. And and I think the next scene is where they meet those two dudes who are uh, to, to sell them weed. And, and he mentions Acapulco Gold, which is, uh, I just heard Cheech and Chong say that. That's like a Cheech and Chong joke to me. I don't know if there's an actual Acapulco Gold. Do you guys even know? I'm sure there is. Again, the wrong crowd here. At least me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought when I was watching it, it should have been McCurtain County Gold because that was the actual weed from Oklahoma. Uh, it was in my, my area where I live. We used to be like a big weed plantation, I guess, of like a lot of people were growing and selling weed. And McCurtain County Gold became like a top five list of High Times magazine. And that was like uh, our claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> And so everybody always talks about it. You, they would say there would be people at shirts like out in different parts of the world who would be wearing McCurtain County Gold shirts. What? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like in the 90s, the National Guard came in and just... just Bowed it all down? Tore, yeah, just rested everybody, tore it all down, burnt it off. So that was ruin like, everything. I know, man. Goddamn government. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens next. Is they tell them about th- that that there's better weed, right? They said, mm-hmm. so "This ain't good shit. There's there's better weed." After that, they go to the weed the weed store, right? Yeah. And and that's where we meet uh, Bobby. Bobby Wilson from the 1491s, who is for those who don't know, Sterling Harjo and his crew have a comedy troupe called 1491s, and so this is like a. 1491 cameo, basically. I, what made me laugh was like, the, the kids are in the weed place. Like, this doesn't happen where they let the kids, let the, the kids in the weed place. So, they go everywhere, though. They go to the bar. To the yeah, bar. They, well, I've been to bars as a kid, so it happens in small towns. But yeah. well, maybe that's how it is with weed places now. Yeah, hey, weeds are the weed places. So maybe that's right. So he's like, uh, except he tries the weed and it's real bad. and. And he calls the kids grandpersons, and I thought that was funny. And, uh, <laughs> and and so he said, "Now you need to try this good stuff." And so they start lighting the weed, and they start doing the smudging. Yeah, smudging. And so that cracked me up too. That scene there. And so then they finally go to Sonics. They were talking about the weed and how good it was, and how high uh, Uncle Brownie was. I can't remember who it was, but said the white man weed. Yeah, they finally really cracked. Bad. Yeah, Jack, they finally cracked the code. <laughs> <laughs> white man's weed. That was funny to me. And so, you know, and so we got to get a you know cameo of the Sonic. And so then the next scene is at Old Muggy's, the bar. Uncle Brownie is uncertain about going in because of his wild partying days, I guess, right? And he thought that he wouldn't be welcome. And so when uh, so he goes in and kind of talks about all the shit that he did, how he was like a a fuck up, how he beat up all these people. And they tell the story again. And this time he beat up like 30 people, including the police officer. (laughs) And so so it's, you know, it's the comedy rule of three. Like we start with one, go to two, and then go to three. And so then they they were easily forgiven of him. So all this time that he was afraid to go out into the world and be back with these people was kind of just all in his mind, basically, is what I got out of it. So then what happens next? is they kind of just everybody comes buddy buddy with them right they kind of talk about the old times and the people he beat up and and uh, well who was it he was high on something what was it man he was high on um he did a line of coke he said he did coke. coke and it mixed with some meth meth yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. do a line of coke mixed with meth and and 
He said, I know you hit my brother who sold it to you or whatever the joke was. It was your, he says, I know I hit him. He's like, it was your line of meth. It was your coke and it was that meth you did. You gave it to me. And so then they offer the back strap. And so they go out to the car. And the kids have to pay for a round of beer. And the kids have to pay for a round of beer. And so then they go out. He's like, they owe me $30, but uh, a round for everybody. Yeah. (laughs) He said, but the cheap stuff. And so then they go out and they pull the deer and, and the deer explodes and blood's everywhere. And so they're having to clean it up. And we have another emotional moment where Uncle Brownie kind of talks to the girl and says, you know, thanks her for letting him get out of the world and that he was scared and all that stuff. Another emotional moment that may or may not have uh, moved Jason A. Snap. And, uh, <laughs> and so then that's when that lady comes out. And so you better have that back strap. And then we go to credits, right? After she that, that lady says, yeah, better have that back strap, right? Mm-hmm. And so then comes to a, a, a mid, mid-credit sequence, which has the guy talking to the girl about the hair and that he could put magic on it. And so then we go go to black and go to credits. And so that's basically it in a really quick meandering rundown of the story. And so for this part, let's kind of just kind of like go back and kind of talk about various things that stood out for me and maybe stood out for you guys. I guess Candace, kind of like uh, what stood out, what you didn't like, what you liked, those kind of things, your, your critical perspective of it. Well, I feel like it feels like a parody too of like, I feel like um, I feel like this isn't to wiggle out of it but I feel like this might be something that J-Snap or you might feel but to me it feels a little bit like a parody of that young man wanting to be a warrior kind of journey because um I know like my brother my older brother he was very much into karate kid and so I know that there's this hunger and there's this desire whenever uh, you know they come up against obstacles and for bear you know it's in the form of the Indian mafia and getting his butt whooped you know it's about him looking to that that figure that hope and hopefully finding you know training and we're and of course the whole episode is making fun of that making fun of like the warrior ways and and, a fun of making fun but it's still using that same trope that of like a a young person going to a warrior or a a famed warrior and they don't teach them the way that they expect them to teach them which that still feels pretty in line with with native culture but i'm sure it lines up it lines up with a lot of other movies and lines up with definitely other cultures you know definitely karate karate kid wax on wax off you know um and for uncle brown is just always be prepared you know and i'm teaching you <laughs> you know mm-hmm. we don't learn we don't learn the same way you don't we don't learn it out of a book i feel like that's that's kind of what the heart of this episode is or maybe what the journey of that of this episode is really what about you jason what, what's your your critical hat tell us what your feelings and thoughts are of this overall episode it was very enjoyable i like i laughed quite a bit throughout the episode like i say it's one of my favorites it's some it's a like i said i, I prefer this the subversive kind of like mischievous kind of story that the, the episode that the episode the mischievous episodes of this series uh where it doesn't where it doesn't get too beholden to to a story i guess to a through line to a arc of say um the characters that we're following i don't know i just really like dropping in and dropping out i don't know what it is about about that well, i don't know what's wrong with me but <laughs> I, I don't like to be too i'm not necessarily that interested in the arc of like the through line which i didn't really get at the beginning and as it started as the show progresses more and more you get the idea that there's their their friend daniel and he is the impetus for them to move to oklahoma or out of oklahoma to california 
but you don't know what his story is. And then you gradually learn more and more. But I didn't, I don't care as much about that story as much as just like just seeing weird stories like this that have Indians in them. And I guess it's just so refreshing to see, you know, these kinds of stories and to see Gary Farmer directed by an, an Indian, a Navajo director and native kids cutting up and seeing Oklahoma, which I do <clears throat> miss from time to time. And that culture, which is pretty specific and unique. I don't know. I like all of those things and I don't necessarily get bogged down in the details of the story, of what, what the story really means, I guess. Maybe that's why I just like the quick, these, these stories like this, like these episodes where you, they kind of could stand on their own. Cool in the gang. All right. So I did have this thought about the series so far. The modern television series are soap operas, and this is semi-soap opera, but as I'm watching it, it feels more like those sitcoms where you can just watch one episode and you have a full story and it tells you enough that you can miss an episode and not think you missed anything because the next episode is a whole new different story. Wouldn't you say it's kind of refreshing though to actually able to spend 27 some odd minutes on a weird story, like a weird ass story. And then it's not like, like in Smoke Signals, for instance, where they throw every trope into the story and every stereotype or whatever and then every because there's only like an hour and a half and it's like well we gotta talk we gotta, we gotta talk about everything because this is all i want to i want to show everything i want to show america like whereas with this i think maybe that's why i like these kinds of episodes because it's like you could just spend 27 minutes on this weird fucking story about this scary farmer trying to dig up weed and it's like it's so refreshing that we could just do that now and like and just take it in and enjoy it. You know, it's like, yeah, just speaking to what you were talking about like that. Also, um, maybe it's also we're dealing with four kids too. And it's different. It, it's good. There may be some limitations that in that kind of storyline, whereas Atlanta, you have like all these adults that can do adult things and have, you know, relationships and then manipulate each other in different ways, in adult ways. Whereas with this, it's almost like, um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily family friendly, but we have, we're, we're definitely talking about four teens. And I wonder if there's limitations on that, what you can do with that. Yeah, it could be, but I don't even know if that's true. I think, I think, I don't think they're unlimited with that. And I know like even like some of the interviews that Sterling talks about is like, he want this is the kind of show that he would have wanted to see as a kid. And I think that is the very strong point of the show for me and probably even you guys is that. These are what we've been wanting since we were children. I think we talked about that in our previous discussions. And I do actually, like I said, I think I had to get out of that mindset of what this show was or what I wanted this show to be and what the show actually is. The way I, I'm starting to see it now is it's a series of short films. Mm. And it's, it's almost like, a, I can't think of the writer. There's a short story writer who, who would write a series of short stories, but in these stories, these characters will show up at different places. And so this is kind of what I'm trying to see this as, is a series of short films where our characters, there's a through line, but it's not such a, it's not a strong through line, but it's like a very loose and, and cool, like, we're just going to like really just kind of just flow through it. We're not going to freaking be tight with our structure. We're not going to be tight with how we usually perceive Western storytelling. We're just going to indigenize the way in which we tell our stories. And so even like, you know, we shift a, a main character. Like in this episode, our main character is Uncle Brownie. We're not even using the main character from the overall show, show art. 
And we'll even take out one character who's been in the previous episode. So to me, I was thinking what we're seeing is like overall encompassing of our reservation and who our reservation residents are. And this is how I'm telling the story. In a way, it's kind of about the reservation more than it's about those four main characters that we see back here. If that makes sense, is what I'm kind of thinking is where we're going to go. And I don't know, maybe it won't, maybe... I'm totally wrong, and we have like a straightforward storyline. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing is like as as the series progresses, there is that the through line is that Daniel character, and that's what I don't really care about as much. I like the idea that it's like it's like a Louise Erdrich uh, novel, like Love Medicine does what you're there talking you about. It's like there you go. It's fascinating to weave through these different stories and follow this character when you didn't expect to, and then this character Atlanta does this too. It was like a whole episode just devoted to um, one yeah, guy. Girlfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And her night out with her girlfriends and stuff. Mm -hmm. To me, I like that. I like not knowing what's going to happen and just kind of go here. And then you don't even have to know where, where cheese is. It's like, who cares? It's like, I trust where the story is going to go. What I don't necessarily care about as much, but I'm different, I think, as far as I think a lot of people like this is what's going to happen to Daniel and like, what's, what's the story? Why did he kill himself and all this stuff? That's why I'm a shitty person probably, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah. So once I get out of that mindset, I'm trying to see it as that. Were you going to say something, Candace? No, I think, I think though that you probably caught on to probably what the show was trying to do because I'm pretty sure that the show wasn't meant to be all leading up to what we will see in the future about Daniel. But anyway, that was it. I didn't really talk about like, him, his quote unquote training of fighting because you know it'd be basically just him trying to somebody trying to hit him or him trying to hit somebody yeah well it's barely that's what's funny is that it's kind of barely there it's more about the weed than it is about fighting yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and his like words of wisdom you know it's like you got the shit kicked at you you get back up you know yeah get back up i guess to me the main theme of the story was like maybe giving up or holding on to your regrets because that's you know kind of throughout the show the weed represents like his emotional place right because he's stuck on this idea of this good weed of what it was is he really trying to sell it or is it really just what is he doing? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Could it be just him trying to reconnect with some old friends, I guess, mm -hmm. or trying to reintegrate himself into his community? Right. And so I feel like that that's kind of like some of these things that happen throughout going back into the storyline of who he beat up and how he beat up and how it changes and him finally giving in to smoking good weed. Mm -hmm. And again, that's his crossover to becoming like getting back out to the world, you know, the symbolic of it. If you want to say there was a symbology, it just, of the, I don't know if symbology is a word. Is it a word? I don't think so. Symbolism. Okay. The symbolism of this character is the weed to me is how I read it. I don't know if you guys kind of got that in, in the story. Well, the heavy handed metaphor I would put on it is like, that's his baggage. He's trying to get rid of his baggage mm -hmm. and can't seem to get rid of his baggage. And finally, he gets rid of his baggage at the bar and gives all his weed. But that's what happens, right? Does he give his weed away to the people? Yeah. yeah 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 so then he's like redemption yeah right and being back out in the world and yeah. um so you know that's a good good theme and so then the bigger theme too that i also got out of it was in western story there's always this idea of the creative family if you ever watch all these movies like fast and furious you know it's like we're family and you know we're not related we're just friends and we're close because we're family and so <laughs> The family you choose, the family you're born with, and the family you choose. Yeah, of. yeah, it's, that's a big theme in Western storytelling. But 
What was different about this is that we as indigenous people, we have this larger sense of family because we do have our created families like, you know, like you guys, you know, so we family right here, you know, because, you know, we're native, we're, you know, hanging out, we both like them, that kind of extended family. But there's also this extended family of kinship. What I wanted to kind of talk about was this idea of indigenous families and what that is and what that means, because. That's something different that's not really talked about in movies, except for maybe like a Italian movie. But, but it's not really talked about within like Western cultural kind of dynamics, even though Europe is Western culture. But you know what I mean? I'm probably making that shit up. But you know what I mean? Let's talk about this idea of extended families and what that means and what that means within the story context and, and things like that. And Candace kind of talked about that a little bit. So kind of elaborate more what you thought within this within this show well of course we got our core characters who are obviously like those those guys are they're tight you know they're they're really tight and then we're introduced when we're introduced to cousin uncle brownie and even bobby bobby <laughs> i always call him bobby dues that's his handle on instagram <laughs> um Bobby Wilson, you know, he assumes he he assumes that they're all kinship, too, because, you know, that's what a lot of I think that's what a lot of native kids. But that's what we're taught to do uh, is like when you have an elder who um, needs to go to town or something like that, you're supposed to go help them run errands. You're supposed to. And this uh, I think this plays into maybe J Snap's subversiveness is that it kind of plays on that subversiveness um, in a way in, in, in native communities, like as native youth, we're taught, you know, go help and serve your elders go, you know, if they need wood chopped, you go chop wood. If they need to go to town, you give them a ride to town. And this one is like, they given him a ride to town to sell his uh, bad weed. You know? <laughs> uh, but of course, Bobby, he uh, takes for granted and assumes that they are, they have a claim, they have a claim, a kinship claim on one another. You know, when he said, when he calls them your grand persons, you know, and uh, I think uh, I think even by the end of the episode, Uncle Brownie, like the only one he who had a claim on him was a Laura Dannon. But by the end of the show, they're all calling him like uncle. And so I like that. Like they've they've all like, you know, it's that's part of him, you know, like coming back into the community is that uh, he's got people making clinch, claim, kinship claims to him, you know, and on him is that they're claiming him and calling him uncle. And so now what that usually means is that now we have a it usually in in what i what i was taught you know growing up is that whenever you claim that now there's not just oh man you know i love you like an uncle or i love you like an aunt or whatever now it's there's a a mutual responsibility for one another whenever i you know whenever i call you uncle or one of them calls you nephew or or a niece so um i think that that's something that's very subtle that's subtle in this episode but i think it's something that i hope we get to see more of especially on the big screen this this larger idea of, of kinship and the way we claim one another yeah family is important you know we all we all have like <clears throat> cousin brothers in my case a cousins that I grew up with who are basically brothers, you know, I think, uh, think back to like a film, Daniel Hyde, this um, filmmaker I know from, he lives here. He was in the Sundance program. We were at this, we were at Sundance program at the same time. And he did like a film called Brusins, like a short film called Brusins. It was his cousin <laughs> brother. And he's Navajo, Navajo and Belizean. Yeah. It's just like, uh, it's something, I mean, everyone has family, of course, but I think in indigenous cultures, it's especially relevant and important because it's like good, it speaks to responsibility and how you relate to certain people and the, the responsibilities that we have to our other family members and how important that is. That's basically it. That's our discussion. Reservation Dogs, episode three, <laughs> Uncle Brownie. Any final word? Candace Bird. I think this episode was a lot of fun. 
Again, it's really like the whole show really does feel like a love letter for Native people. And when I say love letter, it's just because I don't know of anybody who does not enjoy or really like the works of Gary Farmer, you know, and so it really does feel like the show wouldn't be complete without his guest appearance. Uh, it's so fun, too, to see like this younger generation. Like I'm wondering if the, now he's like a real like if they call him uncle now, you know, because I, I like to imagine that, you know, they're all cool you know, offset off camera and that they, they were forming these bonds also off camera and that Gary Farmer's trying to talk them into getting them to put his band on or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something I want to see more of. Oh, it's, this is such a fun episode and there will be another episode directed by Black Horse. I forget which part, which uh, episode. Yeah. And there'll be more fun episodes like this too. Can't wait to, to dive into some more episodes. Yes, yes, yes. Willing and Glang. All right, well, that's it, man. We'll catch you next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. <laughs> Natives be real. Or Indigenous be real, I guess, right? <laughs> we just real. <laughs> <laughs>